Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk in daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. privilege to be here, and I didn't see how many people raised their hand for who was here last night, so for those of you who don't uh, know who I am, my name is Matt Tablis, my daughter Abby leading worship with our Lake Mount team, my wife Lisa over there, and uh, and uh, we're just privileged to be here this morning and to bring the word and to partner with you. I just, I love that the leadership of this house and that the, the whole community of faith here has just set aside these days. Uh, even calling it Holy Spirit Weekend, just saying, we want more of the Holy Spirit. How many say, I want more of the Holy Spirit this weekend, all right? Not just this weekend, but as a lifestyle. And I, I believe that God responds to our hunger. Jesus actually said, we're blessed if we're hungry and thirsty. Sometimes we think the blessing is in the partaking, in the eating, or in, in the drinking. But Jesus actually kind of turns that and says, no, you're actually blessed if you have the right appetites. If you're hungry and you're thirsty for more, the more that God has. And uh, Jesus also said that God the Father, when he pours the Spirit on us, he gives us the Holy Spirit without measure. Don't get too excited. But God gives the Holy Spirit without measure. That means that whatever measure of the presence of God, whatever measure of the fullness of the Holy Spirit we're currently experiencing, that measurement is on our side of the equation because God gives his spirit without measure. That means that God is not hoarding or there's not some limit. It's not as though we can just, you know, get to a certain degree of fullness of life in the spirit and then just kind of level off and be like, okay, I think that's, I think that's enough. Margaret, let's just pause right here. God actually wants us to have more and more fullness so that we can be filled to overflowing and I believe that our lives are meant to constantly be overflowing with the fullness of the presence of God. And so it's good to set aside some time. It's good to get hungry. It's good to say, you know, we're, we're not giving ourselves a failing report card on our faith saying, boy, we better have a Holy Spirit weekend. It's been a year. Like, it's, it's not like we're saying, you know, I, I, I've been missing it. What we're saying is, God, we're thankful for what has been and for what is, but we're hungry for more. How many can say amen to that this morning? That's, that's the hunger and the cry of this house, and I can feel that in the in the spiritual atmosphere. I just really love and appreciate your pastors, Chad and Melissa. They're just great leaders and have such a heart for the Lord and such a heart for this house. And, and you're really blessed to have such incredible pastors uh, over this house. You're a blessed church. And uh, how many are thankful for Pastor Chad and Melissa? What a great couple. You know, I love the name of this church. And, you know, in case you didn't know, it's in the Bible. You didn't think it up yourselves. But Bethel, it, you know, this, the, the name Bethel is actually uh, where uh, Jacob met with God in the watches of the night. Jacob, in the Old Testament, was, uh, you know, he was going to go meet his brother who is nervous to go meet after having kind of double-crossed him for the birthright. And his brother Esau, the name Esau means red, hairy hunter. I'd be nervous to meet a guy that I double-crossed whose name was Red Harry Hunter. 
which kind of tells you how attractive of a baby he was. I was like, what should we name him? Red Harry Hunter. Okay. Sounds like a Canadian country music show. <laughs> it's the Red Harry Hunter show. But, but Jacob was nervous to go meet his brother. And he, he was praying to the Lord. And the Lord met him. Opened the heavens. And in a vision at night, in a dream at night, he saw a ladder from heaven and angels coming up and down. And when Jacob woke up, he said, this is the house of God, Bethel, the house of God, the gateway to heaven. And local churches, I really believe, are meant to really be Bethels, not just a name on the door, but a functional practice that this should be the house of God and a gateway to heaven into this community. Because Jesus taught us to pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so this is to be an epicenter in this community of the presence of the Lord where people who are looking for God would know if I'm looking anywhere, I could walk through these doors and find the presence of the Lord. And this is, this is, this is our calling as the local church. And the, the church is meant to be a, a church that is on fire. And, and the fire of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's what I want to talk about this morning, and I think I'm in the right place. I think there's some people here hungry for the, the more fullness of the Holy Spirit. Last year, um, you know, Pastor Chad and Melissa were uh, sharing last night, and those of you that are aware, they were this past week in um, Great Wolf Lodge with the Young Pastors uh, Connection Time from the Western Ontario District for the Pentecostal Assemblies. Last year, uh, we were, I was ministering there. My wife and I were having breakfast with one of the ladies who's a counselor there. Uh, she, she comes just to meet with pastors. If they need any counsel, they have uh, some free counseling lined up there for anyone that could just uh, benefit from those services. And we were just chatting with her over breakfast one morning. And uh, Judy was telling us about how her grandfather got saved. I want to share this story with you because it's quickly become one of my favorite stories. Her grandfather, however many years ago, um, his name was Harper, and when he was 17 years of age, he heard, they, they lived in the Ottawa Valley, and, and he heard of these special church services that were happening in town. And, uh, and so Harper uh, asked his dad, who was a hard-drinking Irishman and farmer, he said, Dad, uh, I'd like to go into town for these church services tonight. And he said, I'll get all my chores done. I won't even take the horses or I won't take a horse. I'll just go by myself and come back. If I get all my chores done, could I go? And so his dad said, yeah, if you ensure that you get all that done, you, you can go ahead. And so Harper sped through his chores that day and got everything done. And instead of going back to the house and getting cleaned up, he had brought a change of clothes with him that day. And when he was done his shift, he took a quick little bath in the creek and put on his good clothes. And he started to run into town. Because there was something stirring in this young man of a desire to want to know the Lord. I believe that that desire is in every human heart. That we are made for relationship with God. And the, the, the testimony of what was happening in these services in the town nearby gripped this 17-year-old boy's heart. And so he starts to head into town and as he's approaching where the service is going to be, it was in a, in a uh, warehouse that a local businessman said, you can use my warehouse for these services. And as this young harper starts going towards the town, when he gets near, he sees 
smoke and fire on the building and sees that this building where the services are going to be is on fire. And as a young man, he thought, I'm going to run in and I'm going to help everybody, uh, you know, see if I can get some people out. And so he runs as fast as he can. And he runs through the doors. And when he gets inside, he falls on his face in the presence of God. The fire that he saw was supernatural. It was a fire that he could see with his physical eyes, but the building wasn't consumed. It wasn't a natural fire that was burning. His spiritual eyes were open to what God was doing in that place, was actually consuming people for his glory. And this young man laid on the floor in this, in this service. Now imagine this. He hasn't met Jesus yet. No one gave him the four spiritual laws. He didn't repeat after anybody the spiritual, you know, the, the sinner's prayer. He just runs in and he falls on his face in the presence of the Lord. And he's out for the count. He's just, you know, some of us call that being slain in the spirit. Some people call it sunbathing, you know, with an O, sunbathing. Uh, you know, he's, he's just out in the presence of God. Well, his parents become concerned. Last they heard he was going to church and going to come back. So his mom and dad hitch up the wagon and they come into town and they get there at about 1230 and they see the same thing and they're like, oh no, our son has been burned alive in this church. And so they see that they could still kind of get in the door and they run in and the same thing happens to them. They fall on their faces and they're there till two, three in the morning getting saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit and drawn into the presence of God in such a demonstrable way. I love that story because I believe every word of it. And I believe every word of it because it has biblical roots. That we are the people of God. And we are meant to be a people that are born of the Spirit, born of water and of fire. The early church was born in a prayer meeting where the fire of God was manifest. And fire throughout scripture has been a, a metaphor, a word picture that God selected for himself to represent particularly his manifest presence through the, 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 the presence of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. The, the, the presence of God has been referenced or analogized to, to be fire. Now, whenever God uses uh, a word picture uses any kind of imagery. God's not just kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel going, okay, I'll pick this image and see if that sticks. But God, in the inspiration of Scripture, has every kind of, uh, you know, every word, every metaphor, everything is at his disposal. There's nothing that God just kind of does by accident. The imagery of fire is meant for us to take what we know about fire and apply that to the Holy Spirit and realize this is what God is calling us toward. Our God is a consuming fire. And the fire of God in the Old Testament, like I said, was, was particularly symbolic of the presence of God. Now, when I say that, Sometimes people's minds go, well, what do, you, what do you mean? Like the presence of God, isn't God omnipresent? Like isn't God everywhere all the time? And the answer to that is yes. But God 
is unique in that only God out of, uh, like none of us have this same privilege. Only God is everywhere all the time, but God can also specifically manifest his presence in one place at one time. He's everywhere all the time because he's God, but he manifests his presence Particularly, he's enthroned in the praises of his people. How many can feel the presence of God here this morning as we're worshiping? He's, he, he, he comes, you know, in the praises of his people. He manifests himself through, <clears throat> through the preaching of his word. He manifests himself uh, where, where God's people, where two or three gather in his name. He says, there I am in your midst as well. The manifest presence of God has, has got to become a consuming preoccupation for the people of God, that I don't want to just be content with the omnipresence of the Lord as a theological reality, but I want to have the experiential reality of the manifest presence of God in my life. And so I want you to take a look. We're going we're gonna to look at a whole lot of scripture this morning because I love the Bible. How many here love God's word? All right. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Leviticus chapter 6. Leviticus chapter 6, the book of Leviticus as the title indicates, is that it's written to the Levites as the, the outline of their duties and responsibilities as priests before the Lord. In this Old Testament context, sometimes an error that can get made in the church is that people look at the Old Testament as somewhat irrelevant because, because of, I guess, just bad theology. Everything that happened in the Old Testament is meant to be... Uh, it's meant to have imagery, an example for us, so that we can recognize what the New Testament says of the Old, is that the Old Testament is a shadow of what is to come. And so we see foreshadowing in the Old Testament of the priestly responsibility. In the New Testament, believers are called a kingdom of priests. So we see the priestly responsibility. We should look for ourselves in the book of Leviticus. We, we see how God moved amongst his people, and that was in particular places on particular people because the Holy Spirit had not yet come to the entire church, but he would come upon individuals. Now we can look at what God does in a prophet or in a king or in, uh, in a priest and recognize that we are a kingdom of priests and we're called into a prophetic kingdom that what we see in the Old Testament is meant to stir our hearts to say, hey, this could be me. And so Leviticus chapter 6 outlines amongst many of the responsibilities of the Levites. I want to call our attention to just two verses. Leviticus chapter 6 verse 12 says that the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously it must not go out. Now, why would God give to the priests this assignment of keeping a fire going all the time? It's not as though it's cold in the ancient Middle East. It's not as though they needed to have a fire just, you know, because everyone would shiver. It was actually a prophetic symbol and type of what? It's a type and a manifestation of the manifest presence of the Lord. 
and the assignment of the priests to keep the fire burning in the temple of the Lord because maintaining a fire that would never go out, not because they had a natural gas pipeline and they could just turn it on and never think of it again, but they'd have to put firewood on, sweep out the ashes, and keep a fire going. Maintaining that fire is supposed to tell you and me something about what it is to maintain the presence of the Lord in our lives is that there is to be constant attention put towards the manifest presence of the Lord in our lives. The fire must never go out. That's why, and this isn't part of my message today, but that's why when you read in the book of 1 Samuel, when the little boy Samuel is sleeping next to the lamp of God, the fire had not yet gone out, and there weren't many visions, and the word of the Lord was rare, the reason the word of the Lord was rare and there weren't many visions is because the priests weren't maintaining the fire. And if you failed to maintain the fire, it was indicative of what was happening with your level of passion for the presence of God. The fire of God is a type of the presence of the Lord. Now, fast forward to the New Testament where we see the, the ministry of John the Baptist who John the Baptist, I know we read of him in the New Testament, but he's the greatest prophet of the Old Testament because the New Testament begins with Jesus at the cross, right? Right? Okay. So John the Baptist has this job, this assignment of preparing the way for Jesus to come. And he's in a wilderness, this wild-haired, camel-skin-wearing, bug-eating man is out in a wilderness preaching, and people went out to listen. That's an anointing. I mean, that's, that's not a social media campaign that's not booked the arena and put up posters. He, by all intents and purposes, no disrespect intended, I'll apologize when we meet in heaven, but John the Baptist would have been weird to look at. And this wild-haired man living in a wilderness starts to preach. Have you ever thought about how is it that people went out to hear him? I get the impression that John the Baptist was just out there preaching to tumbleweeds. And then somebody's like, what's that crazy guy yelling about over there? And then they kind of go over and listen. And all of a sudden, they're like, he's not crazy. He's a prophet. And hearts began to burn and people began to tell one another. And soon, everybody left town and they started to go out into the wilderness and listen to this man preach. And he would tell them to repent, which means change your mind. Stop thinking the way you do about God. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And then he would baptize them, which is he, this wild-haired, bug-eating, camel-skin-wearing guy would dunk people underwater and say, die to the way that you used to live and come alive to living for God. And people began to think of his ministry as messianic. People began to think, this might be the Messiah. That's how powerful his ministry was. That's how massive the anointing on John the Baptist's life was, is that people actually began to think, perhaps he's the Messiah. And so when that began to be the, uh, the, the accolade, and that began to be kind of the word on the street, John the Baptist set everybody straight, and he declared this. He said, I am not the Messiah. The one coming after me, the Messiah, is more powerful than I am. I baptize you with water for repentance to change the way you think about God. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who's coming after me, I'm not even worthy to carry his shoes around. 
He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. Baptized in the Holy Spirit and with fire. This is what Jesus came to do. I mentioned this last night. Allow me to mention this again. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we read with theological divisions in our hearts and minds. We read with denominational stripes in our minds. And we have all these little theological arguments of that's a Calvinistic verse and that's an Arminian verse and that's a charismatic verse and that's a cessationist verse and that's all these different you know, strands of theology. The Bible is written to believers and if you are a Christian, raise your hand if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, okay? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we ought to pay attention to what John the Baptist, the forerunner, said Jesus came to do. This is what Jesus came to do. That means it's for everybody. Jesus came to baptize his followers in the Holy Spirit and with fire. In other words, this isn't optional. We need this. We need Holy Spirit baptism. And we need the fire of God. Now I want to say that being baptized in the Holy Spirit and with fire, those are not synonyms. That's not John the Baptist just using a couple flowery word pictures to describe the same thing. He's talking about two distinct operations of what Jesus wants to do in the life of a believer. Each is a descriptor of two vital spiritual realities. To be baptized in the Holy Spirit, first of all, you might want to write this in your notes this morning. But to be baptized is from the Greek word baptizo. And baptizo is a word that is used to describe pickling. He's saying, here's what God wants to do. Here's what Jesus has come to do for every follower of his. He wants to pickle you in the Holy Spirit. You're like, that sounds a little irreverent. No, that sounds actually just what the Bible is saying. We, just, we use the word baptized, get used to it. But the first hearers would have heard pickled. Another implication of the word baptizo would be to take just a, a, a white fabric and put it into dye and change it into another colored fabric. It is to change something from one essence to another. When you have uh, you know, a little miniature cucumber, it's a little miniature cucumber. If you put it in a jar with some vinegar and some dill and whatever else, and you put the lid on there for six weeks or so, you don't say, hey, can you pass me the vinegary cucumbers? You say, pass the pickles. Why? Because it's not a little cucumber anymore. It's changed entirely in essence, and it can't go back to what it was before. You can't take that, that pickle and make it a plain old cucumber again. Why? Because it's become infused right into the core uh, with, with what it is in. With, with the jar that it's in, it actually takes on the nature of that atmosphere and reproduces it to the taste bud. This isn't just a cucumber. This is a pickle now. And your life, my life as followers of Jesus Christ, according to John the Baptist, I've just got, this is my simple theology. I believe the Bible's right. And if John the Baptist says in the word of God that Jesus came to baptize, to pickle me in the Holy Spirit, sign me up. If that's what he came to do, then I am not debating. I need that. I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I need to be baptized. The second image that, the, that, that John the Baptist uses, he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. And the fire, as we've already indicated, is a picture 
or a symbol of the manifest presence of God. That we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and we need to be stewards of the manifest presence of God in our lives. We need to be baptized in His fire. You might say, well, that sounds like the same kind of thing. Okay, what do you do with a verse like when Jesus quotes uh, Isaiah 61? And he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news. We kind of think of the Holy Spirit being upon you and being anointed as the same thing. Not according to Jesus. I agree with him. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. There is the presence of God that is to be on me and the anointing of God that is to be in me so that when God is with me and his spirit is upon me, when there is an anointing for function but a, but a, a, but a baptism for relationship, what I want is to be intimate with God and I want, to, I want to be functional in his anointing so that there can be a difference made through my life in the world. Because it's possible to be anointed and miss heaven. Jesus said it. Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons? Weren't we super anointed? Didn't we prophesy? Didn't we do all kinds of amazing things? Yes. But I never knew you. How's that possible? No fire. Just an anointing. I want the fire of God in my life. I want the presence of God in my life. I want to know the Lord. I don't want to just have functional gifts. I want the functional gifts to be an overflow of intimate relationship with him. Okay? Now, John the Baptist says that Jesus came to baptize in the Holy Spirit and with fire. We've already established that. We all agree, right? That's what Jesus came to do. Now, I find it interesting that this is what Jesus came to do, and yet during his entire earthly ministry, he didn't do it. You'll never find anywhere in the Gospels where Jesus baptized someone in the Holy Spirit. Jesus baptized his followers in the Holy Spirit from heaven in Acts chapter 2. You can turn there right now, Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament. Jesus baptized his first followers from heaven. Now, why didn't Jesus baptize anybody in the Holy Spirit while he was here on the earth? I believe in the wisdom of God, had Jesus ever baptized, say, his 11 disciples because we know one of them blew it. And so if he baptized his 11 disciples in the Holy Spirit, you know what we would all be saying right now? That was for them. That was, that was for them back then. That's not for us now. And so we just need to be content that God baptized. This is why I don't understand. I'm not being disparaging, but I don't understand people with a cessationist theology because the, the cessationism is to believe that all that we read of in the, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, that that has ceased. That doesn't happen anymore. And what we just need to do now is just be happy that it happened for them. I don't get that. You know, can you imagine if I said to my daughter, Abby, Abby, pick whatever school you want to go to. Your mother and I will pay for the whole thing. You just go and live your dreams. And then when our son says, hey, mom and dad, I think I want to go to school too. We're like, oh, you know what? We're doing that for Abby. Just be blessed and encouraged. We did it for her. <laughs> I'm so happy for you. See, I believe... That God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
And how he started is how he's going to finish. And Jesus is not going to return for anything less than what he left. And if he started out in the power of the Holy Spirit and the warning of Paul to the Galatian church, do you think you can finish in the flesh what began in the spirit? We need to hear as the church, no, we can't. We need what they needed. We need a baptism in the Holy Spirit. We need a baptism in fire. We need what they had because the assignment of the church is the same. So we need the same grace and the same gifts. It's not optional. And I love that Jesus didn't baptize anybody while he was physically here on earth. So we can't let ourselves off the hook. And how they experience the baptism in the Holy Spirit is how we experience the baptism in the Holy Spirit. No special favorites. It's the same thing. And so here are these disciples, and I find this compelling is that Jesus says to his closest followers who saw all of his miracles, heard all of his preaching, had all kinds of stuff that's not even recorded in Scripture, and one of his disciples, John, said if we tried to write it all down, there wouldn't be enough paper to write enough books. He said there's so much activity that Jesus did on the earth. The disciples were exposed to all of that. They even received an impartation from Jesus, and the 12 of them were sent out, and they went and they did what Jesus was doing by impartation. They healed people. They cast out demons. They came back. They were excited. And Jesus says to those disciples, he says to them, before he goes into heaven, he says, don't leave Jerusalem until you've been clothed with power from on high. Why? Because you don't need a testimony. You don't need an impartation. You don't need to just tell the stories of what you've seen. That's not enough. You need to be operating in what I was operating in. You need a baptism in the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, if those disciples needed a baptism, these disciples need a baptism in the Holy Spirit and fire. Acts chapter 2 says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, somebody say suddenly. Now I love the word suddenly here because the Bible makes clear they were praying for 10 days. They're praying for 10 days and God says, suddenly. How many know it sometimes takes God a long time to suddenly do something. But those 10 days got them ready. Those 10 days of hunger. Those 10 days of seeking. The Gospels make it clear that Jesus appeared to 500 of his disciples. On the day of Pentecost, as we're about to read, there was 120 in the upper room. Where'd the other 380 go? That was a long prayer meeting. I have a job, I have other things to do. But there was 120 who stayed in the place where I, see, we read sometimes with the end of the story in mind. But if you put yourself in, in their shoes, you put yourself in that real time, they're in an atmosphere of prayer. They're in an atmosphere of hunger. They're asking God for more. And something registered with these 120 that we haven't experienced the fullness yet. It's not enough to get goosebumps when we're praying. It's not enough to just really feel close to God while we're worshiping. This baptism is going to be so completely other than we're waiting until we're sure. And this is the day of Pentecost when suddenly, verse 2, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them and 
all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them. This incredible picture is meant to have us draw a correlation to the words of John the Baptist that Jesus is going to baptize in the Holy Spirit and with fire and the correlation to the Old Testament assignment of the priests to steward the flame of God. That they actually saw, like Harper Emerson saw, a flame on top of a building that was not a natural flame, but he could see it. In the same way, these disciples, being baptized in the Holy Spirit and with fire, they have a flame over their head, tongues of fire, which many confuse to mean the tongues that they spoke. No, it's just the word you use to describe a little flame. That little flame was indicative of the manifest presence of God coming to rest upon them and then they began to speak in other tongues and it's in that speaking in other tongues languages that they did not know that they stagger out into the street some people thought they were drunk and Peter gets up who was previously you know a coward and and chickened out on declaring his faith to a 12 year old girl at a bonfire you know just a, a few weeks earlier now he stands on a street corner of an orthodox Jewish festival and he says you all killed Jesus but he's the son of God you need to get saved we're not drunk like you suppose this is the Holy Spirit and 3,000 people get saved because of the anointing of God the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit upon their lives that witness was established because God's pouring out his spirit on all flesh 3,000 Orthodox Jews shifting their allegiance and saying we're giving our hearts and pledging our lives to follow Jesus, that's because the Spirit's being poured out on them. But the outpouring that we see manifest on the 120 is because there has to be hungry people receiving what God's pouring out who can then interpret it to the world around them. The Bible says in the time of rain, ask for rain. Why? Because when there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh, how many know it's possible to take, a, to take a bottle and leave a lid on it and hold it under Niagara Falls? You won't get a drop in it. The outpouring's there. It's about the opening. 120 people were opened, and they got filled, and the overflow of their life was the birth of the church, and the church has continued to grow and has never looked back. In the time of rain, in the time of outpouring, we need to ask for rain. We're living in a time of outpouring. It's good to say, let's have a Holy Spirit weekend. It's good to say, in this time of outpouring, God, over here, don't pass us by. We need a fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit and with fire. I want to speak in new tongues. Why? Because I want to have what Paul talked about. The Apostle Paul teaches on this and says, when I pray with, with my spirit, my mind is unfruitful. I pray with a spiritual language and my spirit gets stronger, but my mind is starving for air. My mind is going, I don't know what we're talking about. But my spirit's getting stronger. He says, then when I pray with my mind, then my mind gets stronger. He says, so what do I do? He says, I pray in the spirit and I pray with my mind. I'm communicating with God, mysteries to God. The Bible says that when we pray in the Holy Spirit, we build ourselves up in the most holy faith. The Apostle Paul said, I thank God that I pray in tongues more than all of you. We need to be a people that are praying in the Spirit 
on a regular basis, every day. You need to be praying in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because your spirit needs to be strong. I don't know if you've noticed the climate of the world around us, and I'm not talking about the weather. We need the fire of the Holy Spirit in these days. We need to have strong spirits. We need to be resolved and resilient in our pursuit of God. And what we need is what the early church needed. It's what the church has always needed. It's what Jesus came to do. We need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and with fire. We need that anointing and that presence of God in our lives. Romans chapter 12 verse 11, you don't have to turn there, but the Apostle Paul giving instruction to the Roman church says this, never let the fire in your heart go out, keep it alive and serve the Lord. Other translations say never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. That word fervor means literally to boil with heat. The Apostle Paul counseling the church and he's speaking to a specific church but by the Holy Spirit that has become inspired scripture for every single one of us we understand we need to be boiling with a spiritual fervor all the time never be lacking in zeal but keep yourself white hot in passion for Jesus let the spirit of God be so strong in your life that you're burning with passion for the presence of the Lord how many say, that's what I want in my life. I want the burning passion for the presence of God. Let me hear you this morning. You want to hear, you want a burning passion for the Lord in your life. That's what we need. That's why we're here. We don't want to be lacking in zeal. We don't want to get lazy. I don't want to be one of the 380 who walks home because the prayer meeting was long. I want to be one of the 120 who's pressing in because I know there's more and I'm willing to stay and linger until I experience and taste and see the fullness of what God says I can have. I don't want to hear just the testimonies of what Harper Emerson had 80 years ago. I want it today and now in my life. I'm not content with the renewal of 25 years ago or the revival or the charismatic renewal of 40 years ago or or Azusa Street from 100 years ago. I want in my lifetime, in this generation, right here and now, I want what God says is available for us. And if he's no respecter of persons, we've got to get desperate and say, God, baptize me. Baptize me again. Fill me again. Let your fire come upon me. Let your fire come upon this church. Baptize us in the Holy Spirit. Because we need you. Jesus said, to the church in Laodicea in the book of Revelation, he said, I know your deeds. You're neither hot or cold. How I wish you were one or the other because you're lukewarm, neither hot or cold. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Why did Jesus say that? Because he's saying the worst place for a believer to be is lukewarm. It's better to be frigid, cold, turned off to the things of God and just living a wild life of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. What are you saying, Pastor Matt? I'm saying Jesus said it. Why? Because if you would go out there and sow your wild oats, like, like the, I don't even know what sowing your wild oats means, but if you'd go out there and do what the prodigal did, one day there'll be a wake-up moment like the prodigal had, pull his head out of a pig trough and say, what am I doing with my life? I need to get back to my father's house. But God pity the person who stays in the father's house but mingles in a little bit of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Pardon the expression, but just brings in a little bit of the world, brings in a little bit of compromise, mixes in a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and the spiritual fervor starts to go down. The worst place you can be is not ice cold in your tenderness to God. The worst place you can be is lukewarm where you've got just enough Jesus to not really enjoy sin and just enough sin to not really enjoy the presence of God. Jesus says, I wish you were hot or cold. 
I wish you'd decide. Get off the fence. If you're going to be in, get all in. Let me baptize you. Don't just put your toe in the edge. I want to get you all the way in. Don't just kind of peek on the corner. I want you all the way in. I want to baptize you in fire. I want to baptize you in my Holy Spirit. I don't want you to just have a memory of what was. I want you to have a current reality of what is because he's never changed. He's still the baptizer and he's still pouring out his spirit. And this is a day for visitation and our hearts need to get hungry. Throughout the book of Revelation, Jesus referred to every single church, every church. That includes this church. That includes my home church. That includes every church that's declaring the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus referred to every single church, seven of them in the book of Revelation, as he referred to them as candlesticks. What is a candlestick? A candlestick is, it has a simple function. All it does is host fire. A candlestick that doesn't have a flame on it is just an ornament. And a local church that doesn't have the fire in it is just a decorative ornament as well. It just looks good. It's a great place to have a wedding and a funeral. But the church is not meant to just be a decent place for decent people to come and just have a, a decent expression of a, a moderate, nominal faith in Christ. I don't even know what a nominal Christian is from a biblical frame. What's a nominal Christian? What we are supposed to be is a burning people, passionate for the presence of God. I hope you're picking up as this sermon is unfolding. I hope that you're understanding that fire, you know, if you were on fire... Physically, let's just use our imaginations. But if this guy's on fire right here in the second row, he's not blending in very well. And if he stays sitting there, that seat's going to be on fire. If he stays sitting next to you, you're sitting pretty close. You're going to be on fire. Pretty soon when the two of them are on fire, what's going to happen? There's going to be a chain reaction. You cannot, be blend, you cannot blend in and be anointed at the same time. You cannot be baptized in the Holy Spirit and blend in. we got to stop with this idea that the church is just called to blend in. We're not called to blend in. We're called to burn. We're called to be a Bethel. The house of God. A gateway to heaven. We are called to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the deal. Some people say, well, am I not filled with the Holy Spirit? When I'm saved, doesn't the Holy Spirit come and live inside of me when I'm saved? Yes. Yes, he does. Now, if I had a pitcher of water, I could illustrate this for you, but I'm going to paint the picture with the power of my words, and you're going to see it with your imaginations. If I was holding a pitcher of water right here, and I, it was full to the top, and I have a, an empty cup, if I pour water from that pitcher into the cup, the cup is filled. Agreed? Can you all see it? Very good. That is salvation. The Holy Spirit's come taking up residence inside of me. Now keep picturing this cup and this pitcher. To be baptized in the Holy Spirit is to take the cup and put it in the pitcher. Not just filled with the Holy Spirit, but baptized in the Holy Spirit. That God wants to take me from where he saved me and I'm still somewhat in control. He wants to just take me and absorb me into himself.
wants to baptize me into himself. And again, if he baptized me in fire, how the fire would spread. And my job is to maintain that burning passion for the Holy Spirit. Now, full disclosure, if you read the entire New Testament, what happened in Acts chapter 2 never happened exactly the same again. That first initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit had some exceptional phenomenon uh, where, where they, you know, they were all sitting there and, and the fire came upon them. You could see the tongues of fire that staggered into the street. What happened from that point on, biblically, sounds more like this from Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, it says this, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples. Everybody say disciples. It means they're followers of Jesus. And he asked them, this is an interesting question for an apostle to ask a little home church that he finds. First question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? What's he talking about? Baptism in the Holy Spirit. The baptism, the subsequent being baptized. No, they told him. Here's an interesting answer. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And Paul's like, okay, hold on. Let's just back up the bus here for a second. Then what baptism were you baptized with? With John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, all of us need to hear this. John's, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, changing your mind, changing the way you think about God, getting into right relationship with God. He baptized them with a baptism of repentance, telling the people, that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak with other languages and prophesy. Now, there are about 12 men in all. So here's this little home church, 12 people. Paul says, hey, you love Jesus, you're saved, you're going to heaven, but have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? No, we didn't even know. Oh, well, this isn't optional. You've been saved, but you, you need a little, you, you need the full package. So let's, let's pray about that. And he teaches them and lays hands on them. And when he laid hands on them, they began to speak in other tongues and prophesy. In other words, they weren't just going, ooh, I felt goosebumps. I think I got it. It's not just a, I got goosebumps, but there's demonstrative activity of the Holy Spirit that makes very clear to you and to those around, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I've got a language of prayer to communicate with God. And the presence of the Lord is resting on my life in a deeper way. Now, I already asked before how many people here are followers of Jesus, just about every hand in this room. When you gave your life to Jesus, you were not instantly, simultaneously, you know, you didn't just pray the prayer and, oh my goodness, you're in a tank of water. Huh. Wow, I just prayed the prayer and I'm in this tank of water. I'm baptized. No, you had to go and be baptized in water to make that declaration of your faith. In the same way that you had to seek out to be baptized in water, we need to seek out to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and with fire and ask for God. To give us the fullness of what he has. The Bible says, Paul said this when he's instructing the churches. He said, he said, keep 
being filled with the Holy Spirit. The reality is, if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit before, if you have uh, you know, received a prayer language, if you've received prophetic gifts and, and found the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be in operation in your life, the Bible says, don't just you know, <clears throat> be thankful and coast off of that. It says, keep being filled. Be baptized again. Be baptized again. Acts chapter 4, after some persecution broke out, the church did what? They went and they prayed, had a prayer meeting, and the Holy Spirit came upon them in that prayer meeting, and they were filled with boldness. The building was shook, and they went out and preached the word of God boldly. They were baptized again. I don't know about you, but I'm very aware. I need a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want the fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm hungry for the more that God says is available. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message, Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you, and that you come back and check out next week's message as well.